Okay. So, how's it going? Great. Lively group? Okay. Um, well, I'm, I'm excited to be here. I, I hope you're excited to be here, too. This is a great opportunity for us um, just to be together, which, you know, is something that we can't take for granted <laughs> during this time. Um, but to be together and have the opportunity to have fun together, but also have the opportunity to worship together and to be discipled together, that's, that's an awesome opportunity. Um, I was asked tonight to talk about the reasons why I'm confident in my faith. Why am I confident in my faith? And before, before I launch into this, I, I need to give a little bit of a disclaimer before, before we even start. When we talk about being confident, really we need to understand that's not the same thing. I'm going to switch markers here. That's not really the same thing as certainty. To be confident doesn't mean that you're certain. Um, sometimes that's a misconception about faith, though, isn't it? That if I'm a person of faith, then I should never have any doubts. I should never have any questions. I should never struggle with any sort of uncertainties. I don't know any person of faith that actually has that kind of faith. I just don't. Because that's not really the nature of faith. The na- to, to have faith doesn't mean that you are absolutely beyond any sort of shadow of a doubt certain. If you think about it, guys, you're not really, you don't really have that level of certainty for really anything. Somebody tell me, who is the first president of the United States? Are you certain about that, though? <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, it's, it's reasonable to believe it, right? But you weren't there. You never shook the man's hand. You didn't vote for him. So there, there might be some sort of a... Sh- I mean, if you want to be ridiculous, right? If you, want to, if you want to play little mind games, you know, there might be some sort of... What if we're all plugged into the Matrix? Who knows? You know, like... Um, so you could, you could always bring some sort of shadow of uncertainty to, to most any claim. But we're really not shooting for certainty. We're really shooting for... Is it reasonable? That's what we're shooting for. Is it reasonable to believe this? Is it reasonable to believe that George Washington was the first president of the United States? Of course it is. If you don't believe that, then you're being what? You're being unreasonable. Um, and so that's really, when it talks, when I, so when I talk about why am I confident in my faith, what I don't want you to hear me saying is I've never had any questions. I've never had any struggles. I've never had any doubts. Oh, no, quite the opposite. I, I, actually, questions are what drive me forward in my faith. Questions are a big motivating factor for me in my faith because I want to learn more. I want to discover more. And so I'm not talking, but I am talking about what is reasonable. What is reasonable. So with that being said, how do we know Or how do we discover confidence in anything, let alone faith? How do we become confident in anything? I want to do a little experiment. I want to do a little, I want to give a little illustration here. So, um, your name is Kyle. Okay, so I'm going to pick on Kyle. Kyle made the mistake of being in the front row. Um, So, imagine, Kyle, are you dating anyone currently? You are. Okay. 
what's, what's, uh, what's her name? Annie. Annie. And how long have you been dating Annie? Uh, two months. Two, oh, so it's a new. <laughs> Good for you. Is she here? Oh, she goes to Arkansas. Hmm. So like a long distance thing, huh? That's tough. All right, so Annie, you said? Okay. So when you asked Annie out that first time, when anyone, when any young man asks a young woman out that first time, or maybe the opposite, a young woman asking a young man, whenever that happens, there has to be some reasonable level of confidence, right? before that question is asked. You ha- no one is going to a- ask that question, or very few people are going to ask that question, not having any idea how it's going to go. Okay, There's some level of confidence that, that goes into that. And so to be confident in, in asking a question like that, will you go out with me? Um, the confidence really comes from two different places. There has to be what we might call external confirmation, but then there's also, oops, there's also internal confirmation, okay? There's external confirmation and there's internal, so let's go back to Kyle and Annie. Talk to me about external confirmation. Before you asked her out that first time, what clued you in? What gave you a hint that maybe if I ask, maybe she'll say yes? Like, what, what were the hints that you were looking for there? Um, I, she was talking to me. Okay. <laughs> Not bad. That's a start. By the way, guys, pro tip, I'm Gen X, okay? I'm, I'm in my 40s, all right? So I grew up pre-internet, pre-texting, pre-social media, whatever, I'm just going to tell you guys, now maybe it'll weird out some girls, all right, but I, I just got to tell you, like the best way to really impress that girl is to actually use your words, like actually like talk. I know it's a crazy thing, you know, because we want to we wanna send each other DMs or texts or whatever, but like you will shock her if you're like, you know what, can we just talk? Can we like face to face just have a conversation? It's like, what do I do with that? You know, it's so weird. Um, like dating, Gen Z dating, like that's already up to level five. Like if you're, if you're face-to-face talking, you're like, that's why, you know, two months, like now we're in love, right? Um, <laughs> so she talked to you. What else did she, what other external confirmation? Her feet were pointed towards you. <laughs> Her feet were pointed towards you. Hey, you know what? I, I'm with you. I, nonverbals, man, that matters. So when you, when you talk to her, is she leaning in? Is she leaning away? Like that sort of stuff, it, it matters. Other external, any other external confirmation? Um, I knew her friend, and I knew friend. that her friend said that I was a good yes. the friend. Yes. The friend is big, right? Like if you're in with the friend, that's a good sign. Okay, so here's the thing. There's all sorts of external confirmation. So he's going into this with what? With confidence. But it's not just external confirmation. Do you know anybody, maybe this, is, this has been you, that's just kind of oblivious 
they're just missing all the signs, right? And some of your girls are like, yeah, this guy, let me tell you about this guy. Like, no, like, sometimes that happens, right? Like, people are just completely oblivious. Like, they're not picking up on any of the signals. They're not picking up on any of the signs. And so the external confirmation is actually there. Like, dude, she's, she's trying to tell you that she's into you. Like, she's trying to send you, but you're, you're missing what? You're missing the internal confirmation. In other words, you don't really believe it. You haven't really internalized it. And so confidence, guys, confidence requires both. It requires some sort of external confirmation. These are the reasons why I've come to believe what I believe. But there also has to be some sort of internal confirmation, some sort of internal commitment. So let's circle back around now and talk about faith. So, um, tell you a little bit about my story. So, when I, um, well, actually, before I tell you my story, I I have a verse here I want to read to you. Um, This is actually in the book of Hebrews. It's in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Now, when I read this to you, I want you to listen for both external and internal confirmation. Okay, so here's what it says. This, now, Here's who Hebrews is talking to. Hebrews is talking to Christians who are worn out in their faith, and he's trying to encourage them, encourage them to persevere, don't give up, um, keep following Jesus, even though times are difficult, even though you might have some doubts. Um, So he's trying to give them that encouragement. And so he says, this salvation, talking about salvation in Jesus, this salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles. So in other words, external confirmation. It was handed down to us by reliable witnesses, and y'all saw what God did in your midst. Like you saw these wonders, these miracles actually done in your midst. But then he goes on to say, closing this verse out, he says, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So in other words, God's not just doing stuff out there. God's also doing stuff in here. So you know that you can trust this message of salvation because of what you've observed, but also because of what you've experienced. You with me so far? So let me, let me talk to you about, about my experience. Um, two things happened. To, so I'm, I'm a preacher's kid. Um, grew up in the church. Faith was just assumed um, for me all growing up. I can't really recall a time in my life where I didn't believe in God. You with me? Some of you are there. Some of, some of you, that's kind of your story too. And don't be ashamed of that. That's actually, that's a gift, okay? Um, but that, that's how I grew up. Now, when I got to high school, though, I had two things happen to me towards the end of my high school career, okay? One was a, a personal tragedy in our family. So my older sister, two and a half years older than me, she got in a car accident one Sunday morning driving to church, and she died. And I was 17 years old at the time. Rocked my world, obviously. Um, it, it, was, it was devastating. It, it was shocking. It was tragic. It was all those things. Um, and it, it rocked me to my core. Everything about me, including my faith, got rattled when that happened. Okay? Um, and so when, when you have a tragedy like that happen to you, you find yourself asking questions in your life that maybe you've put off or questions that you've never really asked before. And so for me, when that happened, 
some of the questions that I started asking were kind of scary questions. Do I believe what I, is it real what I actually believe? Um, is Christian hope really real? Um, is, this, is this story that I've always just sort of assumed to be true, is it actually true and is it something that I'm willing to give my life to? Um, and so I was asking those types of questions as a high school junior, like things got really real, really quick. Um, the second thing that happened was um, when, I, when I turned 16, I got my first job, as a lot of 16-year-olds do, and I was working at, um, it was like an environmental laboratory. We, I grew up in Indiana, a lot of industry where I grew up, and so we did environmental testing, wastewater, soil, that whole thing, it, it sucked. Okay, um, but I'm working every day as a 16, 17-year-old. I'm working every day in this laboratory surrounded by young, recent college graduates, most of whom had degrees in biology and chemistry, very scientifically inclined, very, very, for the most part, very antagonistic towards religious faith. Very antagonistic. And so they knew every day we're working with this preacher's kid, okay? This young, naive preacher's kid. And so what they did, and it, it wasn't mean-spirited or anything. I'm not trying to make them sound like bullies or whatever. But, but on so many days, they would just put me through the ringer. Like, what? You really believe this stuff? Why? Why do you believe this stuff? Why? Like, for the first time in my life, I'm having to, to address my faith intellectually. I'm having to actually think through what it is I believe and why I believe it. I wasn't ready. I wasn't prepared. So I had those two things kind of happening simultaneously in my life. I had, I had this personal tragedy. I had this work experience. And what, what happened was my faith was tested during that time. My faith was tested. But it's, it's a principle of life that you never grow stronger without a period of testing, right? Without a period of difficulty. And from that season of my life, that's where I started to gain confidence in what I believed. Up to that point, what I believed was just assumed. I had a very apathetic faith, a, very, a faith that was very much on cruise control, okay? Just going through the motions, yeah, whatever, I'm a good church kid, go to church, go to youth group, whatever. Like, I was that stereotypical guy. But it wasn't until I was forced to confront these questions in a very real way, sometimes in a very scary way, that I gained confidence. Okay? And so, in that process, I want to talk to you in the, in the brief time that I have left. Um, and I'm going to carry over some of this tomorrow just because... Some of the stuff that I have is too good to not, to not cover it. Um, I want to talk about external, what I learned eventually. I didn't learn it all at once, you know. But what I've learned eventually about external confirmation and internal confirmation. Everybody with me? Everybody tracking with me? Okay, I know it's a little bit, it's late for me. It's not late for you. But, um, okay, so let me talk about external confirmation. The two most important things for anyone to believe in, or let me put that differently, the two most important questions for any person to ever ponder, I don't care, Christian, non-Christian, it does not matter. 
the two most important questions are, does God exist? And if God exists, what does he want from me, right? And again, I don't care. You're Christian, atheist, doesn't matter. Like, even atheists define themselves in terms of God. I mean, you can't be an atheist without God being in the midst. And so, what do I believe about God? Do I believe that God exists? Does God want anything from me? Like the God question. Secondarily, but just as important, is what do I believe about Jesus? Specifically, was Jesus really who these Christians say he was? Those are the, that's really it, guys. Those are the two most important questions. What do I believe about God? What do I believe about Jesus? And so I'm going to save this for tomorrow, tomorrow morning. I'm going to talk about some stuff related to Jesus and some external confirmation that I got from my confidence in who Jesus is, specifically in relation to the resurrection. But tonight I want to talk about external confirmation and God. Why am I confident? What led to my confidence? That God exists, that God is real. Um, Basically, it boils down to this. Basically, it boils down to this. There is too much about this world that doesn't make sense if there were no God. Basic way that that guys like me argue for the existence of God is this. You take something, um, you take this face mask, for instance. You take something that everybody can observe. Everybody can see this mask, right? So you take something that everybody can observe, and you basically ask the question, why? That's a good question about this guy. Why? Um, But that's what philosophers and theologians do when it comes to arguing for God. We take something that everybody can observe, Christian, atheist, doesn't matter, and we just ask the question, why? Why does this thing exist? Might God be the best explanation for this thing that we all agree exists? Let me give you two things. I could give you a bunch, but I'm going to give you two things in particular, two arguments that I like to make, okay? Um, I'm going to put them both up here. Consciousness and design. I think I spelled consciousness, right? Um, let me, let me talk about design first, though, actually. I have this friend of mine. I guess I'd call him a friend. I hope that he would call me a friend. I don't know. Um, but he's, he's, a, he's a pretty um, angry atheist. Um, his dad actually was a preacher. His dad died about 15 years ago from cancer. Hasn't set foot in the church since. Um, Clearly angry at God, clearly angry at his father, and he's, his anger now has manifested itself as atheism. And so we have, we have a text conversation that we, that we do every once in a while. And he sent me, in place of God, he's, he's become, I would say, a worshiper of science. Okay, Science has become his God. And so he sent me a picture a while back. Um, the picture was of a man sitting in a chair, um, and he was, um, he was an amputee. So he, he was missing a leg. But he had been given, this man 
had been given this prosthetic leg, unlike one that I've ever seen before. Like it was, it was amazing, this prosthetic leg that this man uh, had. Um, and, and so he sent me this, this picture along with the text, and he says, you know, some people will say, praise God. I say, F that. He didn't say F. Um, but he said, I say, F that. I say, praise science. Clearly talking about this, this prosthetic, this amazing scientific achievement that this man now is able to walk with an artificial leg because of science, right? So here was my response back to him. My response back was, do you think we will ever design a prosthetic leg that is so intricate, that is so lifelike, that is so effective, that people like you will look at it and will conclude, well, that's a happy accident. Now let that sink in for a second. Because what he, what he said to me, what he was revealing to me is, you look at a mechanical leg and you clearly can see that it's designed. You clearly can see, because he acknowledged it, right? He said, look at science. Look at what we've done through science and innovation. We've designed this amazing leg. But the leg that the prosthetic replaced, with all of its intricacy, with all of its wonder, that leg came about through random accidental processes over billions of years. No design whatsoever. I think that's bull. I don't think that's reasonable. I don't think it's reasonable to look at clear cases of design and say that's designed, but then look at the intricacies of life and say, that's just a random, accidental thing. Um, I was reading about, um, so aliens have been in the news a little bit. I don't know if you caught that because of, you know, like global pandemic and stuff like that. But do you, do you remember hearing about this? Like it was, it, it's amazing that it wasn't bigger news. But like UFOs and aliens were like in the news briefly, like in the spring. And people are like, yeah, whatever. I got this pandemic to deal with. Like, I'll deal with aliens when I have the mental bandwidth to handle aliens, okay? Um, but, but I was reading this article about, like, scientists who dedicate their lives to searching space for signs of intelligent life. And they were talking about, you know, listening to radio waves. That, scientists have been doing this for decades listening for radio waves being broadcast across space, trying to hear evidence of intelligent life in the cosmos. And I thought, how amazing is that? That we can, we can scientifically observe design and intentionality in messages being sent by alien life forms across, across the galaxy. Like, we can identify clear evidence of design. But when it comes to, again, the wonderment of what is life, the intricacy of DNA, we were to conclude that that's just a happy accident, that that wasn't designed. I don't, I don't believe that. I think it's more reasonable to believe that God exists 
and that God has designed us wonderfully. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. But what about consciousness? That's another thing. Like, again, looking at this mask, nobody with properly functioning eyes who is awake and able to see this would deny that the mask exists. Consciousness is the same thing. What do I mean by consciousness? It's very simple. Are you thinking or are you not? Okay? Are you, are you awake, alert, and alive? Or are you not? That's consciousness. And consciousness is a weird thing. Consciousness doesn't make any sense. This marker is not conscious. This marker has no thoughts. Okay? Um, but, but we are somehow like these animated organisms that have minds and thoughts and emotions, and it's just weird. And I'll tell you why it's weird. Um, let me put it this way. So, have you ever gone outside on a summer day and you see the clouds up in the sky, the big puffy clouds up in the sky? And I remember doing this as a kid. And you, you pick out shapes in the clouds. You ever do that? You pick out shapes in the clouds. Like, oh, that looks like a bunny rabbit, or oh, that looks like Homer Simpson, or whatever, you know? Um, now, if you look up in the clouds, and you see uh, a bunny rabbit in the clouds, um, and you run inside, and you find Kyle. You say, Kyle, you'll never believe it. It's the most amazing thing. I was looking up in the sky. There was literally, literally a rabbit, a bunny rabbit, in the sky, in the clouds. Kyle would think that I was crazy, right? Justifiably so. Why? What have I actually seen? I've actually seen something that maybe coincidentally looks like a rabbit, but there's no intentionality there, right? Now, compare that to someone. Um, you said Annie, right? Now, what if Kyle rented an airplane and he flew this airplane and he rode up in the sky, Kyle loves Annie? Like, we would conclude that that was intentional, right? Like, that, that, that's not accidental. That was a message with a purpose. The bunny rabbit is just coincidental. And here's, here's the principle. Are, are you with me? I mean, I'm, I'm forcing you to think on a Friday night. I'm sorry. I can't, I can't help it. Um, randomness cannot confer or give meaning. Things that are random cannot be meaningful. Now, they might accidentally be meaningful, but that's just because you, on the, on the thinking end of things, are kind of, it's sort of like that child who has a conversation with her teddy bear, okay? The conversation is happening where? In the child's own mind. The teddy bear ain't really literally having a conversation. Um, so randomness cannot confer meaning. That bunny rabbit in the clouds is just random. It's not really meaningful. It's just random. Um, in the same way that, like, um, you know, my daughter going downstairs and pounding on the piano, um, she, she might accidentally pound a few notes that sound okay together, but it's not meaningful. It's just accidental that she does that, okay? Now, what does this have to do with anything? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, what do you think with? Don't overthink it. What do you think with? Your brain, 
is what you think with, right? Um, now, your brain, if you're thinking with your brain, you're assigning meaning to the world, right? Right? Now, how did your brain get here? If, if you believe there is no God, and if you, if you reject this notion of design, that we're just cosmic accidents of the universe, there is no God, there is no design, how did your brain get here? How did it get here? Your brain is a product of randomness and chance. So what that means is you are not justified in trusting even your own thoughts. If your brain is just an accidental byproduct of random events and processes, then the idea that we can be conscious, rational beings is absurd. There's no reason for us to believe in our own thoughts. Now, nobody, nobody can actually believe that statement. You know why? Because the minute that you believe the statement, you disbelieve the statement. Because you're using your noggin. You're using your brain. You're using your consciousness. Okay? And some of you are like, I don't know what he's talking about. That's okay. That's okay. Here's the point. The fact that your thinking makes no sense. But you don't think about it that way because it's the most natural thing in the world to think. Of course thinking makes sense. No, it actually doesn't make sense. When you stop believing in God, there's no good reason for you to trust your own consciousness. And you know what's funny is, don't take my word for it. You could read atheist philosophers. I've done this. You could read atheist philosophers who themselves have acknowledged, this doesn't make any sense. I don't get it. I don't get where consciousness comes from. I know that I'm conscious. But there's nothing in this universe that would justify consciousness existing. And that's why I say, guys, I know... Let me bring it back down to you. Here's the point. What's my external confirmation for believing that God exists? When I look at things in this world that are readily apparent, and I could give, again, I could go down the list and give you so many more things. Look at these things that are readily apparent. They're right in front of my face. The most reasonable explanation for these things that exist is that there is a God who exists. There is a God who is the source for all of these things. And the Christian story says that this God is so awesome that he loves me and wants to know me. That's good news. So I could give you more on that. I'll talk tomorrow about some things related to Jesus because this is a big question here too. But again, the question for tonight is how did I gain confidence in my faith? How I gained confidence in my faith was caring enough about it to study and to learn and to grow and to seek out questions or answers to hard questions and to gain that external confirmation. But what about internal confirmation? And that's where I kind of circle back around to uh, my story. So when, when my sister uh, died in this car accident, um, I, I made two decisions relatively quickly after that happened. The first decision that I made was um, my faith has to be real because life and death is real. 
and, and you realize kind of when you're confronted with that, you realize life is too short to mess around. Now, I'm not saying that I never mess around and I never lose focus. I, I lose focus on what really matters all the time, believe me, all the time. But when I was confronted with that truth, when I was confronted with that reality as a 17-year-old kid, I realized, man, life is too short to mess around with some sort of apathetic, worthless faith. Like, this needs to be real in my life. The second, thing, the second decision that I made was that if my faith is going to be real, then I want to spend my life, I want to sp- spend the years that I have investing myself in things that will outlive me for eternity. It's sort of like the Jesus' words about storing up treasures in heaven. I, I want to invest in eternal things. And eventually I learned a word that really kind of um, helped me understand where my, where my thoughts were on this. And it, it, it relates to this internal confirmation, okay? And the word that I learned is, uh, and where's Alec at? Is Alec still in here? There he is. Alex probably heard me talk about this because I talk about it in a lot of classes because it's super meaningful to me. It's, it's a Hebrew word. Do you know where I'm going with this, Alec? Uh, give it a couple more sentences. It's a Hebrew word from Ecclesiastes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's all right. I had you for Greek, not for Hebrew. Uh, so the word is hebel, okay? Um, hebel. Now, to, be, to speak Hebrew, you've got to get some phlegm up. Hebel, okay? Um, it's, it's rough speaking Hebrew in the era of COVID because uh, you're aspirating everywhere. Um, hebel is a word that's really common in one particular book in the Bible. It's common in the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's translated a bunch of different ways. Most of your translations probably translated as meaningless. But it really means like a puff of air. It's here and then it's gone. The way that I understand this word is it's like cotton candy right? Cotton candy, it's big, it's fluffy, it looks like it's delicious, it looks like it's going to satisfy us. They even market it, they have pink and they have blue, you know, as if there's different flavors of cotton candy. Um, But then you put it in your mouth and what happens? Remember last time you've eaten cotton candy? What happens as soon as you put it in your mouth? It's gone, gone, right? It melts, it disappears. Um, That's what hebel is. Hebel is cotton candy. Hebel is describing all of these things in our life that look like, they give the appearance that they're going to be meaningful. They give the appearance that they're going to be lasting, that they're going to satisfy our appetite. They, they give the appearance that, that these, these things are going to hold my life together and give me substance and value and purpose. But really, you take them in And this is what Ecclesiastes is all about. You take them in and what you realize is they're here and then they're gone. Living your life for wealth, for money, yeah, it might be nice for a season, but it's here and then it's gone. Living your life, one of the things that's really bothering me right now is politics. And there's so many people out there, and here's why it's bothering me. There's so many people out there right now that they're literally living their lives for politics. Can you imagine such a short-sighted way to live your life as if you're going to be laying on your deathbed someday and saying, remember that election back in 2020? Man, those great times. No, you're not going to care. You know why? Because politics is hebel. 
Sports, I love sports. Passionate about sports. But sports is hebel. Now, hebel doesn't mean it's bad. Things that are hebel aren't bad, necessarily. It just means that be careful. Because it's going to be hard to build your life on those things because they're going to be here and then they're going to be gone and you're going to be left feeling more empty than before. Are you with me? And so when, when, I, was, when I was going through this circumstance as a high school student, I didn't know this word yet, okay? But I was living it. I was experiencing it. And what I experienced was the emptiness of life without hope. The emptiness of life without God. The emptiness of life without the truth of the gospel. What I discovered was, I can't live my life for Hebel. It's no way to live. If life is going to be meaningful, if I'm going to be truly happy and contented in this life, I've got to live my life for things that are going to last. I've got to live my life for eternal things, godly things. And that's what led to the internal confirmation. That's what ultimately it changed my heart. Because I realized that, that this is the only thing that makes sense. This is the only thing that really makes life worth living and life being truly meaningful. And so these two, these two ties came together. You have the extra, but you know what's interesting is the internal came first. The intern, my heart had to be changed first. And when my heart was changed, all these other things started to kind of fall in place as well. I think, I think part of the reason is because I wasn't ready for these sorts of things over here until my heart had been changed first. Now, tomorrow we're going to dig into this a little bit deeper. And we're, we're going to talk about some specific ways to, to maybe even share our faith with other people and to share our confidence with other people. But tonight, I wanted to establish this. Why can we be confident in the faith that we have? Again, not certain. That's not what we're shooting for. We're shooting for reasonableness. And it really comes to external and internal confirmation. That's it. God bless you guys. Thanks, Chad. Appreciate it, man, very much.